Hi. Ooh, you started. There was such a long pause. You were staring at me. I was like, all right. I, like, I guess I'll do it. I feel like I always start. And I think sometimes people. Sometimes I. Throw a curveball. People are like, oh, what the fuck is who, this? Who, am I listening to the right show? <laughs> <laughs> no one said hello, hello multiple times. <laughs> Just one very confused. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall before ghosts. <laughs> How you doing today, Adam? What a, this is a weird day. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I love Tati Turvy Day. I'm doing great. How are you? How's, I'm, how are you breathing? I, because you had surgery. Yeah, I'm doing great, you guys. Great. Do you hear? Do you hear how great I'm breathing? Do you hear how great I'm breathing? The surgery went swimmingly. <laughs> That's some great breathing there, Adam. <laughs> Shh, we can't let them know that we record these in advance. <laughs> uh, well, it's a beautiful, sunny New York day. This is so much pressure. This is so stressful. I don't know why this is so stressful for me. It shouldn't it be. It shouldn't be. I've heard you do it a bunch. You know, we are a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're a podcast. We uh, we love it when you listen to us. Oh, um, what you know, I There are, uh, if you like t-shirts, we're eventually going to have those back. Not yet, probably. <laughs> So hold your horses there. But uh, we got stickers. <laughs> we do. We have stickers. You know, let us know if you want a sticker. We can uh, arrange for that. <laughs> You're doing such good work. Thank you. Uh, follow us on Instagram at New York Mystery Machine. No. Nope. Don't do that. And why Mystery Machine? <laughs> there it is. Uh, follow us on, go to the Patreon, become a patron. That's patreon.com slash NY Mystery Machine. We're, back, we're at NY Mystery Machine on all the platforms except X. X. Where we are NY Mysteries. Maybe. Yes. I could confirm be, this, please. I could cut out sick one day and you could just And I could just do this, just this do whole this. show myself. <laughs> just talk to myself. Did Toonies Adam. This is now the Chris <sighs> Anyway, welcome to the show, folks. Welcome, welcome everyone. We're we're so excited. We're we're having a fun we're having a, fun having a meltdown little, in the Christina's having a meltdown. We're having a fun little January here on the old podcast. What a fun it's been a fun couple of weeks filled with misery, misery on the show. Misery and sadness and Brutality. But sometimes you got to be miserable with sadness and brutality. Especially at the start of a year. <laughs> You're like, how can I start 2024 in the best I way know. possible? Misery. Yeah. Sadness. Outrage. <laughs> um, we are, but we are, we are just rolling along. As Christina did mention, uh, <laughs> at, at time of recording, we we don't have a home for our t-shirts, but by this time we may have one. Honestly, this comes out at the middle of January. Is it really? Good so time. while I've been recovering from my nose surgery, I may have figured it out. So With all that ample time laid up in bed, you just really... you guys. I can't wait to breathe better. I'm a You'll no longer breathe. hear this, like because I know you do. I I do my best to cut out my breathing mm-hmm. in like at episodes, but every now and then you'll hear a, and that's just me trying to breathe air in my nose, which won't doesn't happen Get because I have, I, have a, I have a deviated septum, and it's really really. really I'm excited really for you to breathe better. Did I ever tell you the story about what the the ENT said when she when she saw my nose? Mm. So she she what happens is I go see the auntie and she's like, oh, let me see. At first you, I thought she said auntie, like your aunt. No. Saw your nose and said, go on. No, ah, the ants, they're all dead. Um, <laughs> um, Continue. And um, I went to the ENT, the surgeon, and she's like, let me see your nose. So she looked at my right nostril and she's like, okay, that's fine. She was breathing, okay, great. Then she looked at the left one and after she looked at the left one, without missing a beat, she looked and she goes, oh my God, how long have you lived this way? <laughs> and she goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. You don't want to hear a doctor say that, do you? I'm like, no. That's she goes, 
And then she's like, please let me fix this for you. Like that was like the our, the, the, the wow. conversation we had. It was, how long have you lived this way? And please let me fix this for you. You know, Ed, um, not quite this severe, but um, we did find out some years ago that after years of only being able to breathe through one or the other nostril, never both at the same time, um, that it was some sort of like constant allergic reaction basically to all the things in our lives, cats, dust. <laughs> yeah, you know. um, notoriously, we have cats and dust. Um <laughs> Notoriously. Notoriously. Uh, and so when, like, he was given medicines and, like, steroid, or I think some sort of steroid to, like, reduce whatever was happening in his sinuses. And the first, like, two weeks, I would just hear, I was like, are you okay? Are are you okay? Is this, like, a reaction to the steroid? He goes, no, I'm breathing. I'm like, no, you're, that's not how, that's, that's not, not how people breathe. breathe. Like, I was like, enjoying the okay? oxygen. And then he would get lightheaded because it was so much more... <laughs> I, 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 I think it's going to happen to I me. I think it's going to happen to you. Be careful. I physically do not know what it is to breathe out of both nostrils. I do not know. And so I'm really excited about it. So thank you all for your support and your well wishes, I assume, send at this time. Send healing vibes. I'll send a picture. I'll, I'll, I'll post a picture of my face on the inside. I, I would have done it by now, probably. Because this is And if late. not, you'll remind us because now we've said it on air. So it's. Uh, I'll post a picture of my swollen face because it's going to be real, real swollen, y'all. It's going to be bad. <laughs> anyway. Hey, Christina. Hey, Adam. Where are we today? We are doing a multi-state story. Um, we multi-state? Start, multi-state. We start in New York and move to Connecticut. Um, I feel like so many of our stories have Connecticut in you it. You know? I mean, it helps that in our witch stories, a uh, lot of Long Island was considered, was considered part of Connecticut. Was yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of Connecticut connections. But we're a little bit later in time and, than that. And our Connecticut connections always remind us of our good friends, Sean and Carrie. That's true. Hey, Sean. Hey, Carrie. Hey, <laughs> we wait for them to, to answer us. <laughs> hey. We do that song, Carrie. So we gotta, we gotta, we gotta plan our our collab this we year. We do. With them. I don't know what it's gonna be. Me neither. What do you, what do you think, you? <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> um. So we're gonna start today by um starting with with our our main character, the figure at the center of all the misfortune that we're about to hear. Um, and I will, I will say from the get go. Is it Krampus? It's not Krampus. Oh, it is damn. not Krampus. But I will. Got I will, high marks in that accent. High marks in that impression. I mean, an excellent impersonation of Krampus. Many of the usual suspects were like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> <laughs> Krampus. No. So today we get another trigger warning um, for uh, child murder. Woo! Oh, Christina. I know. Christina I, never does child I murder. Don't. There's a child involved. I, I de facto in take, fact, do not take the story. In fact, we literally have tabled a bunch of cases because of child murder. And I worry that you now open the floodgates. You, know, I don't know. Because there's a lot of child murders in New York that we just haven't done. Yeah. Um. I will say, I don't, I think it was how the sources I was looking at were dealing with. Like it, I don't know. I was able to detach a little bit. All right. Um, and gloss we're not gonna it, it get mu- it must be being a mother has I know changed. isn't that weird <laughs> what's wrong with me <laughs> it's like you most people are like you know you become a mother you can't really talk about child murders anymore and she was like I became a mother and now I'm like yeah bring on the child murders no no that's not what's happening to me. I'm good I'm good today we are going to be talking about a woman who you would think from if you're just to look at the the bare facts of her life at first glance, you would think she is positively cursed, and her name is Lydia Sherman. Lydia Sherman. Death seemed to follow Lydia Sherman from a very young age. 
So born Lydia Danbury in Burlington, New Jersey on December 24th, 1824. Lydia's mother died a year after birthing Lydia, and though she continued to live with her father in Trenton until the age of nine, um, Lydia grew to dislike her father's second wife. And so she moved in with an uncle um, on a farm at some point around then. He then died when Lydia was 16. So by 16, she has lost her parents. Um, Well, she's lost her mother. She's not really, I guess, on good terms with her father and stepmother, has lost her uh, caretaker uncle. After her uncle's death, Lydia moves in with her brother in New Brunswick, where she begins to work as a tailor. And while there, she attends the Methodist Church. She is described as being absolutely stunning. She is beautiful. She's slender with chestnut hair and blue eyes and quote unquote alabaster skin. Oh, God, this knockout's never going to do anything wrong. Never. <laughs> Edward Struck is a widower and a local blacksmith and he attends this church and he is absolutely besotted with Lydia. Besotted. Besotted. That's a word that needs to come back. Bring back besotted kids. Now this is a May December romance. He's about 20 years older than she is. Um, But he meets her, falls head over heels, proposes to her shortly after they meet um, and she accepts. Lydia Danbury marries sometime in the 1840s and becomes Lydia Struck. And the ceremony is held in the home of her brother, Ellsworth. Edward Struck came with a brood of children already. Six, to be exact. And to that, within a year of marriage, they added their own baby girl. In fact, they ended up adding eight additional children altogether. So if for those of you keeping count, that is a whopping 15 children. It's too many kids, y'all. Perhaps. It's too many kids, y'all. A few too many. Um, no, we were a few too many at like seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are at 15. Um, and by this time, Edward and Lydia had moved to 125th Street in New York City, where Edward continued to work as a, a, a blacksmith for carriages, um, first in Yorkville and then in lower Manhattan around five points just north of it. Now, 15 children. Uh, several of these children are on the younger end of things. Um, right. So there were six from the older, the first marriage, but then you add on all these children within just a few years. Right. Like these are these are some young kids um, and things get expensive. And the family soon found that they needed additional money. So Edward struck struck an idea. See what I. He'd become a New York police officer. <laughs> <laughs> just. After the knack, I couldn't do it. That's uh, after the knack for murder. I just was like that was the last. That was the last pun I get. Yeah, and also you know that episode didn't do too well, so you know puns are out. Puns Puns are out this season. Puns are out. Listen to the knack for murder episode. It was during Thanksgiving. You guys, you guys go back. You guys didn't listen because it was Thanksgiving, but go back. Go back. Some love. And it's it's a wild. It's a wild one. It's a wild one. It's a wild one. There's bodies floating in the river. Like that Flo Rida song. You're a wild one. (laughs) Ooh. Took you home, it'd be a home run. Show me what to do. I wanna get on the floor with you. <laughs> hey, I heard you were a wild one, wild one. That's all I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna see how long we could. <laughs> so Edward Struck becomes a New York City police officer. All well and good. Things are going great. Loves the job, well respected absolutely wonderful at least until 1863 now 1863 in the middle of the civil war 
that's just a little context. It has nothing to do with the story. I'm just oh, my God. That. See the Emancipation Proclamation. There you go. One afternoon, a guy who had had far too much to drink got his hands on a knife and attacked a barman at Stratton's Hotel, which was an establishment at 125th Street and Bloomingdale Road. Did not know there was a Bloomingdale Road. Here we are. Struck, working nearby, ran toward the bar as shouts of murder and help began to be heard on the streets. Again, love the old-timey situation where apparently everyone's just shouting, Murder! Murder! Um, When he arrived, however, the attacker had already been shot by a detective who had been closer and faster in arriving. Now the question was, why didn't Officer Struck get there first? He was nearby. He lived nearby. Where had he been? Why hadn't he done anything? So according to Struck, he was several blocks away from the hotel when he heard about what was going on. And he jumped on a streetcar, raced over there. But by the time he got to the uh, Stratton Hotel, things had already been taken care of. Others, however, including employees of the hotel, said that Struck was right outside at the time of this and did nothing. Apparently fearful that all he had was a billy club while the assailant had... According to this report, the assailant had a gun. I thought he had a knife. I've seen it both ways. Regardless, Struck is like, mm, not doing this. <laughs> Hard pass. Hard pass. So it's not worth it. Not this is just not not no, today. Not, not today, worth folks. it, bro. Not worth it. So Officer Edward Struck is discharged from the force for cowardice without any type of hearing. Now he maintained that this was proof that of what he himself knew all along, which is that he was too above board, too honorable in a precinct that was apparently very dirty, taking bribes, etc. And this was just the easy way of getting him out. Lydia believed him, and life continues. Most of the older children were now married and out of the house. One of their younger children, Josephine, who had been born two years before this fiasco, had uh, died after a severe intestinal illness. But there are still six sons and daughters in need of support. Edward sunk quickly into what we would today think of as clinical depression. He became convinced he would be arrested and would stay awake all night waiting for this. He didn't see friends. He wouldn't look for work. He once threatened to kill himself with his pistol. And Lydia was beside herself with grief. She asked for help from Captain Hart, uh, a man who had been struck supervisor at the precinct and who had actually tried to get struck reinstated to no avail. Hart said there was nothing to be done but to have Edward struck, quote, put out of the way, unquote. Um, And it was the same advice that others were giving her. Now, it's kind of a vague phrase, but, you know, basically they're saying he probably needs to be put in an asylum. Lydia did not do this. Here's what Lydia did. She went to a druggist, local pharmacy, and asked for some arsenic to kill the rats in her apartment. Now, this is pre-FDA, so you could buy cocaine, arsenic, chloroform, you name it, at your local druggist. Whatever you need. need, All your general household items. All your general household items. You need some arsenic. You need some cocaine. You need uh, some some chloroform. You need need it all together. Yeah. And actually, when you think about it, you can get chloroform just for fun for quite a while. Just for funsies. Just for funsies. You remember the Alice Parsons episode? They were getting chloroform to, like, put their little, uh, the baby chickens out while they make their weird baby chicken mash. Do you remember this? <laughs> no. I was like their farm business. Anyway. Oh, what's it yeah. Called? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember now. I forget what it was called. What? The farm business? The, 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 uh, the baby chicken mash. It was your episode. I don't remember what it was called. That's, that's not my job. Do I think I would remember? I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's not anyway. my job. <laughs> I don't need to remember particulars from the episodes. Well, anyway. Who you- was the ghost who haunted the uh, the Merchant House Museum? You don't know? Seabury. 
They were all the Seaberries of the Treadwells. There it is. She there remembers. Is. Episode like five. Uh, anyway, she goes down. She gets arsenic. Now, arsenic was both used as a rat poison and a beauty product at this time. It could take care, they said, of your eczema, your pimples, your sunburns, your freckles, etc. Two for the price of one. Nota bene. Arsenic does not do those things. Please don't use arsenic for any of those things. We've learned a lot since 1863. <laughs> anyway, for a dime. Nota bene. Nota bene. Eh. For a dime, Lydia buys an ounce of arsenic. That is a lot of arsenic. For a dime? For a dime. Really, just a steal. It's a steal. For an ounce? For an ounce. That is a... You need like a drop. Yeah. Arsenic is potent. You need a drop. for. She has a whole ounce. I don't know what they thought, how many rats they thought she had in her house. Infested. Just completely infested. So she goes home with her arsenic, and she makes Edward Struck his oatmeal, and she mixes in some of this arsenic powder. It was, she figured, the merciful answer for all involved. Now, I'm going to spare you some details of death by arsenic. It is gruesome. I read some descriptions. It is terrible. We're not going to talk about it. Let's see. I kind of want to know. I did not write it down in my notes because I was like, this is horrible. Basically, it is. Tell me some stuff. Gruesome intestinal pain it is gruesome vomiting absolutely retching so not like a quiet poison this is not and so that's one of the things they point out is that frequently we think of like poison as like oh like this kind of like pleasant way to go if you're going to be murdered no it is absolutely horrendous and it can take days of agony for you to die oh you hate to see it um in edward struck's case he died the next morning so he did not have days of agony, but he had hours of absolute hell. When the physician was called to record the death, they noted it as death by consumption. I guess, you know, he, 1863 medicine. He consumed something and he died. Yeah, there you go. Now, you might say fine, but you still have a problem, which is that you have no money. And now you're a widow, Lydia. And that that's true. Lydia had the same thought. She had... Was there a life insurance policy? There's no life insurance policy to my knowledge. She had a six-year-old Martha Ann, a four-year-old named Edward, both too young to work, not to mention a baby William who was only nine months old. And she still had a lot of arsenic. So she began poisoning them too. Oh, God. The doctor called to examine them said it was gastric fever. Oh, my God. Of Edward, Lydia would later say, quote, he was a beautiful boy and did not complain during his illness, unquote. What are you doing, Lydia? In the end, all three children died, their official records noting their cause of death as remittent fever and bronchitis. They died within 24 hours of each other. Jeez. Per Harold Schechter in Fatal, The Poisonous Life of a Female Serial Killer, from which a lot of information for this episode is drawn, we shouldn't be too surprised that no one came banging on the doors being like, what the actual hell? Why is your whole family dying within mere hours of each other? Um, This, he says, quote, is the Civil War era when applying a bunch of live leeches to a patient's body was still a common practice. Mm. Diseases easily treatable could decimate entire families, particularly poor ones, in frighteningly short order. So the idea is if one person has consumption or bronchitis or gastric fever or whatever, it could very quickly rip through an entire family. Mm. So this left Lydia with four children at home. George, age 14, was a painter and was earning about 250 per week. So that was helpful for the family. Some money was at least coming in. But then he developed an illness they called painter's colic. What is painter's colic? Painter's colic is a a constipation of source that is the result of lead exposure. So as a painter in this era, you're constantly inhaling wet lead paint, right? Like that is is what you are doing. Um, 
so George became pretty ill and he stayed home a week and showed no signs of getting any better at which time Lydia became quote unquote discouraged Lydia would later write I thought he would become a burden upon me so I mixed up some arsenic in his tea I think he died the next morning you can't just keep giving him an arsenic that can't be your solution to everything Lydia guess what is this solution to everything (laughs) more or less Meanwhile, Lydia begins working as a seamstress and as a nurse. That's right. Oh, a nurse. No, who's letting this people, this person care <laughs> for people? Yeah. So the doctor who had been called to check in on the dying family members was a Dr. Rosenstein. And he thought Lydia was being very caring and very doting as a mother in these terrible times. She never left her children's <laughs> side throughout their illnesses. She had to make sure they're dead. And so by 1864, Lydia's working as a full time nurse for Dr. Rosenstein. Oh, my God. So Lydia's working full time. She still has two children alive, an 18 year old also named Lydia and a 12 year old named Ann Eliza, whom Lydia Sr. described as the happiest child I ever saw. But apparently she was frequently ill. Now, Lydia Jr. was a clerk in a dry goods store and frequently had to stay home from work to take care of Ann Eliza. And when she missed work, she wasn't getting paid. In fact, Ann Eliza was so sick so often that Lydia Jr. ended up giving up her job in order to stay home and would bring in just a little bit of money by sewing bonnets. That meant three mouths on Lydia Sr.'s income. To quote Lydia herself, I thought if I got rid of her that Lydia and myself could make a living. Now, Lydia still has a whole lot of arsenic left. It doesn't take that much, like we said, to kill someone. But she still goes to the druggist and picks up an additional medicine, a promised cure-all of the time, and brought it home mixed in some arsenic to that and fed it to Ann Eliza, who died four days later. Dr. Rosenstein comes and talks it up to typhoid fever. Oh, yeah, that's the same. So really, really great doctor That's here. the same stuff. Totally the same. Typhoid fever, ars- death by arsenic, totes. Yeah, same, 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 same thing. Two months later, Lydia Jr. went to visit her stepsister, and when she returns home, she has a fever. Oh, God. So Lydia Sr. went out and got her some medicine. By morning, Dr. Rosenstein said it was clear that Lydia Jr. had typhoid fever. And on May 19th, 1866, she was dead. Now, it's worth noting. It's worth noting! That we are able to quote Lydia because she ends up not only getting caught, but writing down a confession. And she straight up says, yes, I killed my family. But she insists she did not kill her daughter, Lydia. So it's possible she didn't kill Lydia. After all, if you're going to confess to everything else, why why not this one? But if... Apparently, she was like, nope, that I didn't I didn't kill Lydia. That was I, I tried. I tried with Lydia. Lydia, I, I gave medicine to. She bore my name. So I, th- I, I gave her a fair shot. Right. Exactly. She was <laughs> she was useful. She was, you know, making money. I gave her a fair shot. Gave her a fair shot. The other ones, though. Mm, fuck them bitches. But even if this is true, now people are starting to be like, what's going on? Yeah. Why is why is Lydia like the most unlucky person ever? Because <laughs> this is a lot. Um. So, for example, Reverend Payson, who was a pastor that had been called by Lydia Jr. to help her depart from life in grace, um, felt that what Lydia was suffering from bore resemblance to suicides he had seen. Per the author Schechter, quote, he had been called to many deathbeds, including those of several suicides, poor despairing souls who had turned to arsenic for deliverance. The ghastly moments of 18-year-old Lydia bore a disconcerting resemblance to the convulsive death agonies of those unfortunates, unquote. Meanwhile, Lydia was apparently feeling pretty good. To quote her, I had nothing to fret or trouble me. Because everyone's dead. Because everyone is dead and I killed them. Except maybe other Lydia. (laughs) 
Other Lydia. She was meanwhile working as a clerk now in a sewing machine store when a customer by the name of James Curtis became quite impressed with her. When the store went out of business, he hired Lydia to be his mother's live-in companion and nurse in Stratford, Connecticut. So Lydia moved to Stratford, Connecticut, began her new role. Um, and you might think, this isn't going to go well for this guy's mother, but you're wrong. It didn't last long, the, the, the scenario, but that's because Lydia soon learned of Dennis Hurlbert, a farmer of some wealth and a recent widower. Lydia, who was apparently still very charming, quickly got Hurlbert to fall in love and what's more, to promise that, quote, if I would marry him, all that he was worth should be mine, unquote. And he promised. So his will was adjusted, and so they were married. Oh, boy. About a year later, Hurl Burt becomes sick. Oh, it's so weird. Feeling dizzy when Lydia was shaving him. Oh, no. And it progressed quickly. Oh, a friend brought over some clams, and Lydia made a pot of clam chowder of for him for supper. That feels he like became the right worse. Thing, it feels like the right thing to do. He requested a specific alcoholic medication, and Lydia mixed in some arsenic before serving it to him. Of course she did. That's what she had to do. That's what you do. She knows. And the doctor said it was cholera morbus. Every time. Yes, it's either typhoid or the cholera. It's one of the one two. One or the other. Definitely not poison, mm-hmm. though. Now, Lydia was worth $20,000 in real estate. Which is? A lot of money. <laughs> it's 1866. I didn't do the math. Oh, it's 1868. I didn't do the math, but that's like a lot of money. $20,000? In real estate and 10000 in cash. So she's worth $30,000. Yeah, she's worth $30,000 in 1868. You pulling this up? Yeah. 668470 and 97 cents. Good heavens. That's how much she's worth. It's a lot of money. So, you know, she's sitting pretty with all this money, and apparently this made her very attractive, very appealing, to a certain Horatio N. Sherman. Horatio, oh no. A mechanic and recent widower. She really got a thing for widowers. Sherman proposes. Shocking. Lydia accepts, and even goes so far as to bail him out of debt. Oh, thank God. She then moves in with Horatio, joins the household, which included his dead wife's mother, and four children. Oh, God, but we're going to do those kids. There's too many kids. We'll find out after the break. Oh, I bet I know. I bet I know. <laughs> the New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. Okay, we're back. We're back. And Lydia Sherman. What a cliffhanger. Last I heard, mm-hmm. she marries and she finds an old lady yep. and four fucking kids. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. we all know. We all know what happens when Lydia has kids. She loves kids. And she just has the misfortune of them dying. It's these really poor, unfortunate. It's just poor, weird how all of her husbands and children these poor kids. just keep dying like this of typhoid and cholera and gastric fever one may think that we should test her out for cholera and the, ty- the typhoid fever yeah no but maybe not but maybe I don't, not I don't know. so as you might guess by now 
shortly after Lydia moves in with the Shermans, tragedy struck. No! No! I know, you're shocked. I... No, I really thought this time would be different. I thought, <laughs> I thought you guys, this time would be different. Frankie, a four-month-old baby who had been sick since birth, died after his terrible stomach pain and vomiting. And a month later, Ada, age 14, felt nauseous while decorating the church for Christmas and went home. So Lydia fixed her multiple cups of tea, and she died on December 31st, 1870. I'm sorry. I'm on hold for a second. Mm-hmm. She just is like, this is just... Like I don't want to deal with sick kids, so I kill them. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the, the weirdest thing. Yep. It's like early euthanasia when you don't need it yet. Yep. It's like I don't know. They may be really sick later, so instead of like dealing with it, I'm just gonna yeah. kill them. Yeah. Like it just. It's <laughs> wild. It's just. Wild. And so one thing that the author of that book I mentioned keeps talking about is that you know generally we have in our hands a serial killer, right? So like generally serial killers will kill until they are stopped. Right. And so what in her mind is, you know, the merciful thing for her depressed husband or the merciful thing for the sick child or the merciful thing for children that she doesn't have enough money. No, it's a compulsion is is a compulsion at this. It's certainly at this point, but like very either always was or has very quickly become. And the thing that we have to remember, too, is that there was even before like the start of like all these arsenic murders, one of her kids did die of an intestinal thing. So like. Like, this is early on, very early on, before she starts killing even Edward Straw. Was that also the beginning of this? We, like, these are just the ones she's confessed to, right? So Horatio is devastated. Two children dead, mere months after his wife, his first wife died, right? He begins drinking heavily. He spends a whole week in New Haven drinking. And when his eldest son, Nelson, finds him, brings him home, Sherman's in a terrible state. He perks up after a few days and goes to work. And when he comes home, Lydia rewards him with a cup of hot chocolate. And soon after, he experiences terrible bowel pains. I don't want to. I don't want to laugh. It is so hard. This is so ridiculous. It's so. It's, it's so like over a, the top. It it feels like an SNL skit. Right. It feels like a sketch. It just. It's too. Like, well, I'll take care of you. Bloop, 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 bloop. Right. <laughs> I think that's why. Like, I was able to dissociate while writing this a little insane. bit because it's it's just so over the top, insane. This can't be real. This can't be real. How how is how how? I had someone the other day asking about the show who listened to a couple of episodes, and he was like, "I really like your show. You know, you and your co-host, you're really you're funny. You have a great you know the the give and take is great. I have a really serious question, like." you guys make up some of these stories and <laughs> yeah, i was like I i'm like it'd be easier it'd be easier to make be easier. it up we no. we it's we just we we, <laughs> we there are I, legitimately this level insanity insane people out there this level of just like, crazy we just, shit we just report the news kids <laughs> insane so horatio asks the family physician to visit this is a guy by the name of Dr. Beardsley, and he prescribes morphine. Dr. Beardsley. Dr. Beardsley. And Dr. Beardsley prescribes morphine and a blue pill of mercury. You know, standard 1868 practice. Yeah, I mean. Or 1870. All else fails, throw some mercury in that. Um, And between this and what Lydia was adding to the tea, Horatio ends up worse than ever. Shocking. The doctor shows up again and examines. Do you mean arsenic and mercury is a bad combo? Weird. That's so weird. When the doctor examines him again, he realizes Sherman was suffering from something that resembled arsenic poisoning. <gasps> oh, boy. Now, Beardsley. Catcha. Gotta catcha. You gotta catcha. 
Now, Horatio does die, right? Um, and Beardsley confers with a colleague of his about his suspicions. And he gets permission to do an autopsy on Horatio. Now, I'm not clear who the permission is from. I don't know if he had to go at all through Lydia or if this is just a, like a county thing or what. But he does do an autopsy on Horatio. It's the 1800s. It's like the 1800s. Probably just it's, dug him it's up. the wild, wild west. They're just digging people up. He just said, hey, colleague, you want to do this with me? And the colleague's like, yeah, I do. And he's like, permission granted. Cool. I have a shovel. Want it? Great. <laughs> So they they do. They do an autopsy on Horatio. They send the stomach and the liver to Yale for testing. And the results come back. Absolutely 100% fucking arsenic. The organs are saturated with it. At that point, a warrant goes out for the rest of Lydia. And Lydia, aware that the jig was almost up, had already left for New Brunswick. Meanwhile, Frankie and Ada Sherman and Dennis Hurlbert were all exhumed and found to have significant amounts of arsenic. A drug is confirmed that he had sold Lydia arsenic to deal with her house, house's rat problem. And soon the police are also learning of all the tragedies in the Strzok household all those years ago. What's more, Lydia's fully grown stepson, Cornelius Strzok, has become incredibly suspicious. And he becomes suspicious after the death of Lydia Jr. Um, And even went to the district attorney and was like, you really need to get the the family exhumed at this point. And so they do. They exhume the Strzok family. And on eighteen in eighteen seventy one on June seventh, Lydia was met in New Brunswick by the police, brought to New Haven, and charged with the murder of Horatio Sherman. The press had a field day. They compared her to Lucretia Borgia, the uh, the serial poisoner of the Renaissance. And on April sixteenth, eighteen seventy two, Lydia's trial begins. If I may quote the pamphlet that was later published about the trial, you may. She appeared unusually cheerful. She was dressed in a neat black alpaca dress, trimmed with silk velvet, a mixed black and white woolen shawl, white straw hat trimmed with black velvet and brown plume, from which which drooped over her face a thin lace veil, through which her features were plainly marked, and upon her hands were black kid gloves. She looked respectable, basically, right? And nothing like what the public was expecting for such a brazen killer. The trial lasted eight days, during which the defense told the jury that Horatio's death was accidental. Surely he had swallowed water from a well in which a rat had drowned after it had been poisoned with that arsenic. And if you're not buying that, maybe he killed himself. He had money problems after all, not to mention a whole bunch of children. But in the end, the jury doesn't buy that. Lydia is found guilty of second degree murder and sentenced to life in prison at Wethersfield, the Connecticut State Prison. There she pens a confession which was included in the book entitled The Poison Fiend! Exclamation point. <laughs> Life, Crime, and Conviction of Lydia Sherman. And it was a bestseller. <laughs> the Poison Fiend. Now, people have speculated whether there are only these deaths. After all, there was that infant death early on that I mentioned. Not to mention, what are the patients in that practice where she was a nurse for so long? Could any of those have been hastened to their grave a little early? Oh, God. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, we'll, we'll just never know. Uh, Lydia died in prison, despite one brief attempt at an escape, uh, on May 16th, 1878, of cancer. And here is an obituary for her from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. Adam. If ever a murderer deserved the extreme penalty of the law, Mrs. Lydia Sherman should have been hanged. But one crime has fastened upon her, mainly because nobody ever thought of, a ch- of charging her formally with the commission of seven others, even more atrocious. The charge was brought home, but the jury, unwilling to hang a woman, rendered a verdict of murder in the second degree, through which she was sentenced to a lifelong imprisonment 
In all but one that which ended her career, she alleges that she thought her victim would be better off in the next world. They were sent to it simply because they were in her way in this world. Utterly destitute of maternal instinct, without even the excuse of ambition, fear, hope, or love, to which she seems to have been a complete stranger, she killed her own helpless, happy little ones for the sake of convenience, and watched their pangs without one thrill of pity. Such a woman has no points of contact with the normal member of the human family. She was a monster, and her death is a relief. And that is her obituary. Francis <laughs> Lovelace! <laughs> um... <laughs> great character. Great character. Great, great, Absolutely. Glad wonderful. he's in the repertoire. Now, one thing that I find fascinating is that at no point, to my knowledge, is she charged or convicted of these other murders. It's it's just that <laughs> that, that husband. Just the one. Just the one. And they mention the others. Yes. They in that obituary and yeah. in the it, she confesses to them. It's so weird. Willingly. That's so odd. But no one bothers to actually try her. It's, it's, that part is absolutely wild to me. Um, but there is one last bit of lore for Lydia Sherman. Her case was so famous and so salacious that there was a song written about her. Now, I could not find a recording of music. So we should make it up. Music. Right, exactly. I've got the lyrics here, Adam. Have at it. Uh, what, what style are we thinking this is? What feels right? 1871-ish. Oh, yeah. This would be like bluegrass. Yeah. Little twangy. Should I get my mandolin? I think you should get the mandolin. <laughs> okay. Mandolin's procured. Let it be known that I gave Adam zero warning about this. Oh, zero warning. So I have no idea how this is going to sound. And I'm excited. I'm also like only decently proficient on the mandolin. <laughs> <I've only laughs> that been, feels right for this. I've only been playing it for less than a year. <laughs> All right, here we go. But it feels like a mandolin song. It absolutely is. Lydia Sherman is playing with rats Lydia has no faith in cats So Lydia buys some arsenic And then her husband, he gets sick And then her husband, he just die Lydia's neighbors wonder why Lydia moves but still has rats And she still puts not faith in cats so she can buy some arsenic. This time the children, they get sick. This time the children, they do die. And Lydia's neighbors wonder why. Hey, Lydia lies in Weathersfield jail. And loudly does she moan and wail. She blames her fate on a plague of rats. She blames the laziness of cats, but her neighbor's question he can deny. So now Lydia in prison must lie. Hey, Lydia! <laughs> oh, she killed them, kids. She killed her husband. He done died. Lydia's neighbors, they never ask why. Hey! That was wonderful. 
absolutely wonderful. Oh, God. I don't even know how loud that's going to be on the recording. I didn't look at my levels. That last, the last, the tail end of it was all improv. Right, right, right. We we have the lyrics for most, but then, you know, Adam really got into the spirit of it. (laughs) You know, spirit moved them and here we are. Oh, God, you guys. Thank you for that, Adam. Oh, I, 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 we shit you not. That, <laughs> that was one. I'm really impressed. That honestly. was one take. It was one take. Adam didn't even like bother to look at the lyrics. Like, cause I had. No, yeah. I was trying to read as I was going. Yeah. This was all. Adam just, just, just pulled out the mandolin, tuned it and said, here we go. <laughs> well, there you have it, kids. Oh my. The story of Lydia Sherman. Oh my God. Well. What a <laughs> I don't even know how to end this now. Where do we go from here, Adam? I don't even know where we go from here. It's going to be stuck in my head. <laughs> it's catchy. It's a catchy tune. <laughs> it's going to go on our, our album of of songs. With the Cannibal from Alstovitz. The Cannibal from Alstovitz. The, the operetta about the Jersey Devil. The Jersey Devil. Oh, yeah. Dreams a really fun canon. Yeah. We got to put those all together one day. I agree. I'll orchestrate them all. Ready for this? <laughs> oh, I'm mandolin. Oh, I'm mandolin. <laughs> That's gonna be a, it's a long cycle. It's, for gonna, be, it's gonna be a patron exclusive. It's gonna be just <laughs> the New York Mystery Machine on mandolin. It's a song cycle for uh, voice and mandolin. Oh man! Well, there you have it, kids. There you have it. Don't uh, don't murder kids. Don't please don't. Don't buy arsenic. Doesn't work for the things you want it to work for, unless you want it for murder. But Which don't, don't do, do that. that. So no, that's our lesson so just today. Don't. All right, well, uh, <laughs> I don't even know. We're back next week with another episode of the show. Um, be sure to follow on our socials at NY Mystery Machine on Facebook, Instagram, at NY Mysteries on the Twitter, or the X, rather. Uh, join our Patreon, patreon.com, such as Mystery Machine. We're working on T-shirts. New stickers should be here soon as well. So we're working on a way of putting all of our stickers, our T-shirts, everything on one home for you guys. So that's the other part of that whole thing. But we're, we're, <laughs> I don't, it's so hard to end this really episode. Is. How do you end from there? You don't. I think you've been out of maze. I have been out of maze. I, I think you've been Christina Marinelli. That I have. And this, and we want to thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammy Hall, but for ghosts. Thank you.